stand in the presence of God's word. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground, the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is grown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. It was almost a year ago that Gail and I started preparing for our vacation. Amy Venable had recommended a particular travel guide book to us, one that she had found very helpful when she spent a year in France as a part of her undergraduate degree. I went to a local bookstore and asked if they had an update of that book. They did, and I bought it. So at nighttime, I began to read about places of interest in France. Gail and I had decided we didn't want to, to move hotels every day. So we would concentrate on four cities and then use a Eurail pass to go out short distances from those four to see something interesting, something different every day. We didn't know until we got to France that they were having a disruption. That's what they called it. We would use the word strike in this country, but disruption is what they called it because they didn't strike the whole railway system, just certain trains, the ones she and I wanted to ride. So it got so bad a few times that we were just scrambling for something else to do. One morning we went to a man's funeral whom we did not even know. We went to the cathedral to see the tomb of the wife of William the Conqueror. It's been in the cathedral church at Caen for about a thousand years. They were having a funeral, so we went in and sat down and watched the whole thing. Another day, we had gotten caught down at Bon in the Burgundy area, just south of Dijon, and I was looking frantically, is there anything else of interest here? And our travel book said, if you've never seen them make mustard, you might find that interesting. So we bought a ticket and went to the mustard-making plant. We were taken into a room and each of us given a mortar and pestle and a little uh, teaspoonful maybe of mustard seed. They were really small, just little black specks. And then we were told to grind those as finely as we could. Then lick your finger just a sec, get a little bit and see what it tastes like. It tasted like nothing. And then they said, now we're going to put a teaspoon of water into your pestle mortar and you you grind it a little more. Now taste again. And wow, it was hot now. I really thought Dijon mustard had the taste it does because horseradish is in it. But that's not right. It has no horseradish in it at all. Still is not my favorite. I prefer yellow French's myself. But anyway, this Dijon mustard they make from these ground up tiny little seeds and the juice of grapes that are deemed not quite good enough for making wine. So here in the Burgundy section of their country, they have 
grapes, not quite good enough for making wine, so you from this wine vinegar and these mashed up seeds, you make mustard. And the longer you allow the chemical reaction to take place, the more heat there seems to be in the mustard. Guess what's happened to the French and their mustard? In France, in much of Europe, they have a plant they call rape. Rape has beautiful yellow flowers on it. Sometimes you'll see 100 acres, 200 acres in a field. Brilliant yellow just covering all the green. They use it to make oil, very much like canola oil. Rape oil is very popular in Europe. But guess what? It cross-pollinated with their mustard. And now their mustard is not good. So they still make mustard in Dijon, but they import all the seeds from Canada. That's what they told us. Admitted, all the seeds come now from Canada. I knew that here in June was coming a text about mustard seed. So I paid really close attention to what was happening. Our guidebook had said that at the end of this demonstration, we would be allowed to taste several very nice French hors d'oeuvres, and we could try a half dozen or more of their mustards to see just how different they can be. And we did that and enjoyed. Dr. Brandon Scott who gave our Barton Clinton Gordy series a few years ago, said that he has now spent 40 years of an adult lifetime studying the parables of Jesus and teaching them at, at Phillips Theological Seminary. 40 years of studying the parables, and he said, I believe every parable Jesus told is about the kingdom of God. And that he would begin a story by mentioning something that his hearers would know very well, that they would understand and agree with, and then he would put some element into the story that was not right. That they would immediately thought, no, that's not right. And that very part that's not quite right is the meaning of the story. So today it's about two things, but I've found four things I want to say about them. Number one, First of all, Jesus said the kingdom of God is sort of like a fellow who scattered seed on the ground. And then he went to bed and he got up the next morning and he went to bed and he got up the next morning and went to bed and got up the next morning. And guess what? These little seeds had germinated and were just growing like crazy. And the man had done nothing. Nothing. The kingdom of God comes at God's initiation. It's something... God makes happen. And Jesus is saying, don't be too full of yourself. The kingdom of God is going to come in spite of you in many cases. Last Sunday morning, at the 11 o'clock service, we had a group of our youth who were going to Youth Force in Oklahoma City this week to do mission work, stay at Oklahoma City University in their dorms and, and work in some of the poorest neighborhoods of Oklahoma City all week. As I was shaking hands with folks out in the hall afterward, one of our senior boys came up to me and said, Dr. Biggs, I've been listening to you for most of the last 18 years, and I just knew this morning you would talk about Coach John Wooden. And I said, I had finished my sermon before Coach Wooden died. Maybe next week. So today I'm going to talk about John Wooden. John Wooden was born in October 1910. 
on a farm just outside a little nowhere place called Hall, Indiana. In 1910, this little farm had no indoor water. It had no electricity. So John Wooden grew up in a house like many of our ancestors with kerosene lamps and an outhouse out behind the big house. When John Wooden was 15, the family had borrowed money to plant their crops. No rain came. They borrowed money to plant crops. No rain came, and the bank came and took their farm. So now they were working on other people's farms, but whenever he had a few minutes, he did what lots of Indiana kids did. He dribbled a basketball. Sophomore, junior, senior years, he led this little high school to the state final one in his senior year. So he was offered a scholarship with Purdue University. He went to Purdue and was an All-American, though he was only 5 feet 10. He was then hired to coach a high school basketball team in Indiana. He coached for the next 11 years and won 84% of his games. World War II came along. He became a part of the United States Navy. When the war was over, UCLA decided to hire him to be their coach. He coached for the next 27 years at UCLA, and he won 81% of his games, 10 national championships, seven of them in a row. Many people remember John Wooden because of the last years of his life when he wrote and became a motivational speaker. Men who had played for him were talking about him in interviews after his death. He would have been 100 next October. At 99 years of age, they said whenever they saw him, he still asked questions about the pyramid of values, the pyramid of values, and they could all recite them. Let me mention three things he said. Talent, he said, is God-given. Be humble. Fame is people-given. Be grateful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. The kingdom will come in spite of us as need be. Wait, that's not right, they would have thought. You just throw the seeds out on the ground. You don't plow. You don't till. You don't weed. Well, guess what? kingdom does pretty well without you. Number two. The soil produced of itself, this is a very important Greek word here, automate, from which we get automatic. The soil made the seeds germinate and thrive automate, because that's what soil does when God has blessed, when God has enhanced, when God wants to make something happen, it's automatic. It happens. Just be aware. The other big sports story before the World Cup gets going down in Africa, I know it did begin this week, was that near-perfect baseball game. Near-perfect baseball game. Armando Galarraga, pitching for the Detroit Tigers, had put down 26 batters in a row. He had one to go. 
Now, for those of you who are not baseball fans, let me remind you how rare a perfect game is. Every, Nash, every, America, every uh, professional baseball team in the majors plays 161 games a year. Now, you multiply 161 games by all the teams, by all the years they've been playing. Before a month ago, there had been only 18 perfect games ever thrown. 27 batters up, 27 batters down. Only 18 times. And then last month, two in one month. There would have been a third one for this year. Armando Galarraga threw the ball to this 27th batter. He hit the ball into the infield. First baseman moved off first base to get the ball. Pitcher covered the base. Ball went to the pitcher, stepped on the bag. Ump said, safe. Instant replay showed, without a doubt, the runner was out. The 27th batter should have gone back to the dugout. Perfect game for Armando. Instead, Jim Joyce said, safe. I saw a picture in Newsweek magazine last week. I know cameras can, you know, pull objects closer up, but everybody was in focus, very good focus. This umpire was not out of place, not out of position. He was right there. I mean, he's standing there looking right at it. There's the pitcher, ball in the glove, foot on the bag, runner not yet there. That night, when the umpire saw the replay, they said he was almost in tears. He said, I've spent my whole adult lifetime doing this. I've done the best I know how always to be fair, and I cost that kid a perfect game. The next day, two teams lined up to play again. Umpires were standing at home plate talking with each other, and Armando walked out of the dugout to the home plate. And when he got close to Jim Joyce, he stuck out his hand, and the umpire shook his hand and said, I'm really, really sorry. And Armando said, Hey, everybody makes a mistake. And went back to the dugout. And one writer I read said, You know what? It turned out to be a near-perfect game, didn't it? Near-perfect. When somebody makes a mistake, is genuinely sorry, and somebody else is willing to forgive... Or as Jesus would have said, the kingdom just comes automatically when those things line up. Number three. Harvest comes, the outcome is guaranteed. Harvest comes, the outcome is guaranteed. I tell you that every morning when I'm eating breakfast, I read the Tulsa World. I used to read Peanuts first off, see how Charlie Brown was faring for the day. And when Charlie Schultz died, I really missed Peanuts. Didn't really care for any of the others in particular until one day I read Pickle. You read Pickle? If you're my age, Pickle is right on. He's, this, 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 this cartoon right, understands people my age. And this couple, the way they talk to each other, he's right on. The other day, she says to the husband, you need to get up on that ladder and clean all those leaves out of the gutter. And he said, that's easier said than done. And she said, well, everything's easier said than done. 
And he said, then why do you always get to be the one who says, and I'm the one who has to do? And Jesus said, whether you do or not, the kingdom is coming. Number four, this tiny little seed, just a black speck, just grows and grows. Now, don't think mustard greens. We've, we've uh, learned a lot about how to, you know, cross-pollinate until we get these, this wonderful plant we know as mustard greens. What did mustard look like in Jesus' time? We know. Because there was a fellow in Italy named Pliny, uh, I was taught Pliny, but the, the Italians always say Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Younger. And Pliny was an astute observer of things of nature. He wrote 37 books of his observations. And there's a long paragraph about mustard. Mustard, he said, is like a weed. You can hardly kill it. If you ever plant it, you better be careful because it'll just take over everything. It sounds sort of like kudzu or something, doesn't it? You just let it get started. You can't kill it. You just can't kill it. Everybody listening to Jesus would have understood that. But then he goes on to say, this tiny little seed will grow into a plant big enough birds can nest in its branches. No, that's not right. No, no, that's not right. But Jesus is alluding to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet carted away into Babylon with the best and brightest of his time, forced to live there as slaves for 50 long years. And during that time he wrote that one day, if we do not become Babylonians, like the other ten tribes became Assyrians, if we hold out for our one true God and do what he taught us to do, one day we will be like a giant cedar of Lebanon. We, Israelites, will be like a giant cedar of Lebanon. The birds, the nations of the world will come and nest in our branches. Ah, Jesus knew they all knew that story. So, mustard seed grows big enough for birds to nest in its branch. No, that's not right. Well, Brandon Scott said he believes the point Jesus is making is the same one he made when he rode that donkey on Palm Sunday. You all know what an empire looks like. It looks like the black stallion. It looks like the Roman Empire. But the kingdom of God is not overpowering like a cedar of Lebanon. It's pervasive like mustard. Once it's started, you can't kill it. The kingdom of God will be. You can count on it. Al de Jordan is a French-Canadian Roman Catholic. He has written that he and his wife had a little girl named Margie. They loved her better than life. She was severely mentally handicapped. She would never learn to read, never learn to write, but a sweet child with a sweet heart. They took her to Mass. They took her for instruction. She could not remember all that confirmands were supposed to remember when she got to that. She couldn't remember the Apostles' Creed. She couldn't get the Ten Commandments correctly. She couldn't get the 23rd Psalm. But she had a priest 
And she had teachers working with her who knew her heart was good. Really good. And so she came with others her age to her first communion. And Al has written that after Margie died, not so long after, every morning when he crawls out of bed, there's the picture of her in her beautiful dress on the day of her first communion. He said, we didn't take pictures during Mass, of course, but when it was over and we started to the car, I said, Margie, I want to take a picture of you in your beautiful dress, your first communion. Would you show Mom and me how you did first communion? She had been instructed just how to hold her hands. And when she had heard the body of our Lord, the blood of our Lord, she was supposed to say, Amen. I got the camera all ready and said, Come on now, Margie. How did you take your first communion? And she held out her sweet hands and said, This is the way. You take Jesus. Amen.